you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. So Luke 3 verses 1 through 14. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, there was a a man by the name of Claude Allen. He was a policy advisor to George W. Bush, and his specialty was ethics. So he was an ethics advisor to the president. In 2006, he abruptly resigned from his position, citing personal reasons, which, as we know, could be a whole gamut of reasons. Um, A few months later, it was revealed that he had recently been arrested for stealing from Target and from other stores. What he would do is he would go into the store, buy several items, some a couple hundred dollars, some as little as two fifty. He would buy them, take them home, or put them in his car, return to the store with his receipt, get those same items, and walk up to customer service and return them, therefore getting the money back for these items. Um, He was obviously caught. 
he was arrested. And you might think, why would a man who is the policy or ethics advisor to the president stoop so low as to, as to being engaged in a scheme like this? Um, initially, his legal team um, uh, pled the defense that it was just a huge misunderstanding that these details would be sorted out and you, you'll see that th- this was just a mistake. Uh, but Claude is a Christian. He's a believer. And after meeting with his pastor, C.J. Mahaney, some of you uh, may know him, um, they met about what it means to actually repent of sin. So Claude, instead of claiming that it was just a huge misunderstanding at his trial, he pleaded guilty to the charges. In a short statement he made to the judge, according to the New York Times, Mr. Allen offered no explanation for his stealing, but he expressed deep remorse for his unlawful actions, and he actually broke down emotionally and wept over what he had done. Something went terribly wrong, he said. I lost perspective and I failed to restrain myself. At the time, I did not fully appreciate what was going on. Claude Allen demonstrated what we are going to be talking about this morning. He demonstrated repentance. Uh, This morning, as we continue our march through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we'll be looking at the concept of repentance and the role that it has in the Gospel. But Luke doesn't start off with talking about repentance. He starts with a difficult passage to read because of these names. I don't know exactly how some of them may be pronounced. But he gives an historical context for us. Now, if you remember, uh, as we started off in the book of Luke, he writes this book to his friend Theophilus. And the reason he writes this book is so that Theophilus might be certain, or might have certainty, of the things that he has heard and been taught. So what Luke is doing here at the beginning of chapter 3 is he's giving us an historical context. He is... His audience mostly is Greek, uh, non-Hebrews, non-Jews. And so what he does is he puts this in a Greek context. He gives us who the rulers were in different parts of uh, the Roman Empire in the Greek world at the time. And he is extremely accurate. Um, these, these men were, in fact, ruling all together, all at the same time, uh, including this Jewish high priest, uh, Annas and Caiaphas. So right now we're probably about at 27 to 28, maybe 29 A.D. Uh, This is the time frame that we're talking about here. So Dr. Luke uh, writes this so that we might have certainty uh, of these things that are about to take place. It gives it uh, a certain sense of legitimacy here. And then John appears on the scene. John, who, as we read before, has been filled with the Holy Spirit since his very birth, even beforehand. Uh, It is time for him to show up. Uh, In a sense, it's it's God saying, all right, John, it's time. Your time has come. And he sends him out into the, the wilderness. So John heads out towards the Jordan River to fulfill his task. And that task is what? It's to prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus is a coming dignitary, and preparations need to be made. Uh, The Olympics are going to be happening soon there in Sochi, uh, Russia, and I'm imagining that preparations have been going on for years in order for the Olympics to be coming to that city. Um, 
Preparations also needed to be made for the coming of Christ. And John does this by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But uh, John's message that he preaches is, we find in Matthew, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says here in Luke, he, he is calling people to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. True repentance produces fruit. Therefore, our repentance should also display itself in very tangible ways. So John's task here is to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And if you think about it, it's kind of an unexpected preparation that he is making here. When the Israelites hear about the plans of making straight a path and leveling out ground, that mountains will be made low and rough places uh, will be made plain, they're expecting a kingly procession. This is obvious. Uh, It sounds like a parade route is being formed so that this king can come in with his entourage uh, into the place where he is going. And if a king is on the way, according to the Israelites, what would you imagine that a king would be coming to do? Well, a king is going to come to establish his authority, is going to eliminate threats around him. He's going to take care of his enemies. Uh, in this instance, the threat to an Israelite king and his authority would obviously be the Roman government. So, as you may know, uh, when the Jewish people were expecting Messiah, they were expecting a political figure. Someone who would come in, who would take authority, and who would drive out the Romans. But John doesn't call for people to, to get ready, to, to take up arms, to train for battle. Instead, what he calls them to do is to be baptized for the repentance or for the forgiveness of their sins. He calls people for people to look inside themselves and to realize the fact that they are sinners. Uh, The Israelites, they desired someone to deal with Caesar and the rest of the Roman government, but what God wanted to do was God wanted to deal with their sin. Jesus was coming to help them with their greatest enemy, their sinful hearts. So John's job was to prepare the way Uh, to make them aware of this enemy and for them to realize that they needed a Savior. Uh, As I said earlier, his his message in Matthew 3, verse 2 is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what we need today. We need our, uh, our hearts spiritually prepared for the coming of Jesus. Uh, Philip Ryken, in his commentary on Luke, says, uh, We want for God to do many things for us. But first things first, we need to repent. The way to get ready for what God wants to do in our lives is to turn away from sin. So repentance, what does this involve? Uh, Repentance of sin involves tangible but also very continuous action. Uh, Being a Christian means that you are constantly repenting of your sins. On the surface, you would think that people who are Christians would maybe repent less. 
You would think that having a relationship with God would make you, in a sense, into a, a better person. Uh, as you mature in your relationship with God, you become better and bear, better, and therefore the things that you need to repent of are, are less and less. So you spend less time, actually, in repentance. But the opposite is actually true. As we mature as Christians, repentance should actually happen more often, not less. There's a, there's a chart that I have talked to before, and I think maybe it's been talked about in, in Sunday schools in the past as well. Um, I call it the cross chart. Uh, but it's at the point of our conversion, two things happen in our lives. Um, we have this growing awareness of, of the majesty and the, the holiness of God. So consider an, an up arrow going in this direction. We understand just how majestic and how awesome God is. We start to see him everywhere, um, and he becomes just more and more incredible in our lives. But also, as we mature as Christians, another thing happens. We become more and more aware of the depths of our sin and how deep our sinful nature actually goes. So you consider another arrow going down, so two arrows going up in opposite directions. Um, What bridges those two lines is the cross of Christ. So what happens is as we gain a, a greater understanding of God and who he is, and a greater understanding of the depths of our sin, we see the cross of Christ that bridges that gap getting greater and greater and greater. Um, We see that what Christ has done for us through his life and his death and his resurrection is more and more incredible. We realize more and more the depths of our sin, and what happens is we actually repent of our sin more often. The message that John preaches is this. So, if repentance is not a part of our daily lives, then we need to question ourselves on whether or not we really understand the gospel. If repentance is not an ongoing action in our lives, what he is saying is, can we actually call ourselves Christians? Uh, The Israelites often claim that because they were Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, as, as Luke says here, that they were covered, that they were good, that they were fine. And we fall into that trap today when we think that we are covered because maybe at one time we had prayed a prayer or maybe that we are members in good standing of a church or we tell others that we are a Christian. But these things do not make us a Christian. What does is repenting and believing the gospel. This is what makes us Christians. This is not a one-time act in our life. This is a daily surrender. It is a daily preaching of the gospel to ourselves, a daily believing in the gospel, and daily repentance. Because when we truly understand the gospel, we realize that repentance is such a vital part of it. It's the acknowledgement of our sin, it's the despising of it, and it's turning our back on it. It's embracing Christ who has paid for all of our sins with his precious blood on the cross. 
And living as a follower of Christ involves continually, continually giving our lives over to Christ and continually confessing our sins to Him. So John is calling his hearers and also us, by extension, uh, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what, honestly, what is he talking about here? Practically speaking, what are fruits of repentance? John commands the crowd to bear fruit in keeping with repentance because repentance is something tangible. It is something that is seen. It is something that is observed. There is a change that occurs. Uh, a while ago, I heard uh, an example, an illustration of a farmer in the state of Michigan who was notorious for his foul mouth uh, and for his treatment of his animals and his workers. Uh, he often treated them badly, sometimes even beating his animals. One day, there was a, an evangelistic crusade in his town, and lo and behold, who would show up but this farmer? Uh, everyone was surprised. Uh, but during this crusade, he became converted to Christ, and immediately his life changed. No longer did he use this foul language. He no longer beat his animals. He began to treat his workers with dignity and respect. But one day, it happened. He lost it. His old habits returned. And when he realized what was happening, he rushed into his house, threw himself down on his kitchen table, sobbing. His wife then asked him, what was the matter? And he confessed, I am no different. He said, I am still the man that I was before Christ. But his wife, though, saw things very differently. She said, no, no you're not. Because the man that you once were would never have wept over your sin like you are now. You see, when we repent of our sins, we don't necessarily become different people. But there is a noticeable change inside of us. When we repent, we take off our own sinful self and we give it to Christ. Then, we, then He clothes, clothes us with Himself. So different people come up to John then and they say, so what in the world are we supposed to do? You tell us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? So the crowds come up to Him. And they say, Teacher, what then shall we do? And he answers them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. What John tells them to do is something so simple and so basic that it is what we teach our children at the earliest of ages, even before they can even talk. We teach them how to share. John says, if we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we will share. Sharing is a hard concept for us to teach in our house for some reason. Um, it, is, it is difficult because uh, things are mine. I want this. And it seems like a constant battle to try to teach sharing. 
But this is what John calls us to do in keeping with repentance. Uh, When a child shares a toy with another child, they are, in essence, saying, you are more important to me than this toy is. When we share with the Uh, with others, the abundant blessings that God has given to us, we are saying that other people are more important than our possessions. Sharing is a tangible result of repentance because it shows that you have humbled yourself. In repentance, we have a different perspective in our lives. We see more clearly who God is and the love that He has for us. And when we know the love that God has for us, our lives turn outward and we share that love with others. Now, Stephanie and I try to share in the blessings that God has given to us. And we do so imperfectly. And uh, I hesitate to use uh, Stephanie and I as an example because obviously uh, we are not perfect by any means. Uh, But uh, we feel like the house that God has given us is a huge blessing. Uh, you know how it was when, um, when, when we moved here. Our, our house in Georgia was on the market for two or three days. Uh, the first people who actually looked at our house bought it. Um, that blew us away. Um, God uh, directed us to a real estate agent here who knew the former owners of our house. And before our house was even on the market, uh, we were able to go see it. And we knew as soon as we walked in that this is where God wanted us to be. Um, Because we feel like God has given us this great blessing, um, yes, we do wish that it was a little closer to church. Uh, It is about 15 minutes away. Uh, But we feel like it's such a huge blessing to us that we desire to share it with others. Uh, We enjoy opening up our home uh, to you guys. Uh, We feel like that is one way that we can bless others. Uh, We love having kids over uh, in the summer to swim in the pool. Uh, We have uh, the benefit of having a a room over the garage that can be used as a playroom. Uh, And we feel very blessed by that. And so we know that we have been given this great opportunity to share this with others. Uh, Are we selfish sometimes? Absolutely. Um, And that's why we need to constantly repent. So what are you being called to share? It's not just for our children, it's for us as well. Uh, What resources do you have in abundance that you can share with others? Uh, What do we have that we could possibly even give away? Uh, What resources do we have as a church that we need to be sharing with others? Next, the tax collectors and the soldiers come up to Jesus. And they ask, teacher, what shall we do? And he gives them the answer of do your job justly. Don't abuse the power that you have been given. Be content with what you make. Notice what he doesn't say, and I think this is very interesting. Uh, Tax collectors and soldiers were not well thought of in those days. Uh, The tax collectors were Jewish people who were siding with the Roman government, collecting money from their own people, often extorting people, uh, collecting above and beyond uh, what they were supposed to do. Uh, They were despised by fellow Jews. So notice what, what John doesn't say. He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector and do something reputable. He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector and join the ministry. He says, 
in where you are, act justly and do not abuse your power. Uh, He says the same thing to soldiers who were not uh, well looked upon uh, as well. He says, don't change your profession or do something else. Instead, display the fruits of repentance exactly where you are. Now, I don't know what this means for each of us individually because each of our lives are different. But what John is calling us to do here is to live the gospel of repentance where we are. If the tax collectors and the soldiers acted in the way that John was telling them to act, do you think that people could tell that there was a difference in their lives? If uh, I was an Israelite living then, I would want my tax collector, my personal tax collector, to be like this man that John is calling him to be. Uh, One who would be reputable, who would do justice, who would collect only what he was authorized to do. This is the type of person that I would want as a soldier around me, uh, who would not be extorting uh, by threats or false accusation, but uh, a man who was content. If soldiers and tax collectors acted in this way, there would be a marked difference in their lives. So what about us? It's always the question, isn't it? What about us? Do people see the fruits of repentance in us? Can people see tangible, tangible fruits of repentance in your life? Can those around you and me say that there is something different about us in the way that we live? You know, Christians get a lot of press about the things that we are against. But do others notice that we are different because of the positive things that we do, like sharing, like promoting justice, like having contentment. And what about our church? You know, my desire for this church is that we be characterized by repentance. Often a church is characterized by the keeping up of appearances, by showing the world around us, that we are better than we actually are. And that's not the case. We show that we have our lives together, that we're successful, that life is great, when in reality we struggle mightily with some of the same things that the world does. And it's difficult for an outsider who is struggling to keep things together to step into an environment where people seem to have things all figured out. But a church that is characterized by the gospel specifically the gospel of repentance, warmly welcomes those who are struggling because we can admit that we are struggling ourselves. This is one of the beauties of the the men's group that we have on a Tuesday morning, uh, is that we can admit to one another the fact that we are struggling and we don't have to keep up these appearances. If our church is going to be characterized by repentance, then what we need to do is do repentance here. This morning we have the opportunity to celebrate the sacrament of communion, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare for that sacrament, we're going to do two things to prepare our hearts. Uh, First thing, what we typically do 
as uh, we have a communion hymn. And in just a moment, we're going to sing that. It's before the throne of God above. Uh, after the song, what we're going to do, as you see in your bulletin there, is we're going to have a prayer of repentance. We're going to take some time to simply repent. Um, I didn't square this away with Dawn previously, but I think you can handle. Uh, I'm just going to ask you after the song is done to simply just play uh, for us quietly as we pray. Uh, What we're going to do is um, we're going to pray together. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to pray with your family, uh, with, um, with those around you. I myself am going to go down and join my family uh, so that we can just have a, a prayer of repentance with one another. Uh, because this is what the gospel calls us to do, to repent of our sins. And uh, after we pray together, what we'll do is we'll proceed with the Lord's Supper, which is a visible reminder for us of the gospel. The gospel calls us to repent of our sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, repentance is the first step, but repentance needs to be followed with believing the gospel. And celebrating the Lord's Supper reminds us of this gospel which we believe. So, Don, if you wouldn't mind, um, and the rest of you, if you would turn in your bulletins, uh, we're going to sing our communion hymn, which is Before the Throne of God in Love. Sean and Lindsay, if you would come help lead us with that. And uh, afterwards... We're just going to go directly into prayer time. There's going to be no announcements. Dawn's going to continue to play for us. And uh, just spend that time uh, praying together. So let's-